Let's take our Bibles and go to the book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, as we look at the subject today, the fear of God, the fear of God from Isaiah chapter 50, and we're going to begin to read there in verse 10. As you're finding your place, let me give you the driving thought of the message today. It is that the fear of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge. So if you and I want to know anything to gain knowledge, to gain a perspective of the world, it begins with something called the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 50, and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. It begins with a question. The Bible says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness... And has no light, trust in the name of the Lord, and rely on His God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches you have kindled. You can also translate that sparks or coals. This you have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just open your word to us today on this this difficult subject that often it brings up past baggage, brings up possibly bad church experiences, bad experiences with preachers. Lord, a lot of times when we examine a subject like this, we, we just don't know what to think of it and we may shy away from it in our hearts and our minds and immediately put up barriers. Lord, would you take away the barriers to your word this morning and would you help us to look at it in context and we ask that you would take it and you would apply it to our hearts. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, the name that is great, the name that is above every name. Amen. So here's the question. When you read Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, it begins with a very profound question. Look at it with me. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there uh, on the seat next to you. It begins with a question, who among you fears the Lord? And notice the next phrase that's connected with them and obeys the voice of his servant. Now, that's a very profound question, is it not? It's kind of as if we were to open up the Bible, the voice coming from Scripture is who among you who read this or hear this actually fears the Lord. So what we're going to look at is, first of all, what the fear of God is not, and then what the fear of God actually is. Sometimes when people look at this and they hear the phrase, the fear of God, or even something that we'll get to in the future, something called the wrath of God. There's some past church baggage. We're not going to ask for a show of hands, but there may be some of you that have sat under sermons to where things like the wrath of God, hell, uh, the fear of God, it, it comes from the pulpit like this. God doesn't even like you. And, and we believe in hell here, okay? Not because we're mean people, because that's what the Scripture says. And we want to love people, so we tell them the truth. But sometimes when these subjects are communicated in church, we can get the feeling like it is God against us, 
and that we have to be looking out for God to get us. And a lot of that goes back to past baggage. Have you ever had a time of guilt in your life? Maybe you're sitting under a sermon, you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden these thoughts of the past begin to come into your mind. And you think, these verses in the Bible, you're thinking, oh no, God is out to get me. In one sense, God is waiting. God is waiting, if you're lost here today, to get saved. Amen, church? To turn from your sin and give your life to Christ, and it's going to be a radical transformation of the heart. But sometimes believers who have been forgiven, and by the way, when you get saved, Jesus forgives all of your sin, past, present, and future. All of it is taken care of. Jesus does not accept us based upon a condition. In other words, Jesus is not like this. Like, for example, if you make a high school team, or if you make a sports team, or if you play on a, on a softball team here in the county, we're going to allow you to be on the team and play this position if you continue to carry out your obligations. Jesus, through His grace and through His blood, forgives us totally, not based upon our goodness, but based on His goodness. Amen? Right. Like, that's the gospel. But sometimes when we hear and we study these things, all of this past can come up and we can begin to think that God is against us when in reality He's for us. You say, Jeff, how do I know that God is for me? What did God do so that none of us would ever have to go to hell? He sent Jesus. And the fact that God sent His Son is evidence forever that if we trust in Him, He's going to take care of us. He's going to forgive us. He's going to give us a radically changed life. So, when we look at subjects like this, for years I was confused. I don't know about you, but when I, I, when I heard the, the fear of God, it was kind of like this sense to it was, it was a phobia that was grounded on, I don't know what God's going to do. You know what I fully understood is when I heard a sermon by uh, O.S. Hawkins several years ago. Great, great preacher. And he, he talked about how he was raised in a very, very rough place of Fort Worth. He said, my dad did not have very much education. And my dad worked and worked and worked to provide the little that we had growing up. He said, and then when it got into the junior uh, high school, junior high school era of his life, then all of those temptations begin to come, don't they? Friends saying, why don't you come out on Friday night and do this with me? Or we can sneak out and get away with this. Your parents will never know. And he said, do you know what kept me from doing that? He said, it was not the fear of my dad finding out and coming in and just like with his big fatherly hand of judgment, blasting me and slamming me. He said that it was the fear that the relationship that I had with my dad and the love and trust and mutual desire to love one another would be damaged. So he said, the fear of God, and this is so true when you read the Bible, the fear of God at the very basic level is the fear of not wanting to get punished. Like a little kid, right? If a little kid can get away with doing something without being punished, they'll do it. Doesn't mean that they're going to do the right thing, but they're selfish. And then you get to the next level of where you realize that God has given you everything that you have. And so at that level, we come to the place where we say, Lord, it's not so much that I don't want to go down that path, that wide path that leads to destruction, because I'm afraid of your judgment. But God, I don't want anything to break the communion and the fellowship and the relationship that we have. Does that make sense? So when we, when we examine this, the fear of God is not so much that His hand of judgment will crash upon us, but that His hand of blessing will be taken away 
from us. So that's why the text says, who among you fears the Lord? So what is the fear of God? We've got two statements there in your notes. Number one, it says the all that a person ought to have before God. This quote, fear of the Lord is represented by fear and trembling. Yes, fear means fear. Just be straight up and honest. Sometimes people in church, you try to water things down. You ever sit under a message and you're like, I don't know if this guy's telling me the truth. Have you ever had someone try to sell something to you? It's all good until you start asking questions, right? Like it's all good, 1995, three payments until you realize that there's like 4,000% interest, right? Like one of those types of deals. So often when the fear of God is presented, people, this is because I think often we're afraid to offend people. It does mean fear. In fact, the word in the Hebrew means to quake and to tremble. But it is not out of an irrational fear um, like this. Maybe you were raised with someone in your family that could go off the handle really quick. Now, we are not asking for raising of hands. Amen? Alright, we're not going there. But imagine the person that you know in your life where you're like, man, he or she, they've got a fuse that is about yay long, and it is very, very susceptible to any type of spark. So when you're around that person, you try to walk on eggshells. Are y'all awake this morning? Are you okay? Or maybe you had perfect families. I don't know. We didn't. But it's that type of deal to where you're like, I don't, I don't know what I, 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 do I talk to him this way or do I talk to him at all? I don't want him to blow up. And sometimes people have an irrational phobia based on a misunderstanding of who God is. So in that sense, a quaking fear is wrong. But what the Bible says is that a fear of God and the fact that He is the ultimate authority should lead us to love Him. Let me give you this second statement. Isn't the Old Testament the fear of God used as a designation of true piety or true desire for God? It is a fear conjoined with love and hope and is therefore not a slavish dread, but rather a filial or a family-related reverence. Let me give you several texts from the book of Proverbs. If you're taking notes, jot them down. Number one, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you're still in your parents' home and they tell you something and you bow your neck, the Bible says that you're a fool. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the, once again, the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. There's so many misunderstandings about the fear of God. For example, if you were to talk to a, uh, a Muslim, which I, I think I told you guys this, I did an interview with an imam, which is like a Muslim preacher a couple of years ago, and they have a drastically different view of God than us. Within the Bible, we know that God is great, we know that God is powerful, but we know that God is also loving because He sent His Son to pay the penalty for our sins. For example, if you were to go to the country of Haiti, and we went there several, I went there in 2001, and when I was there, I never understood religious fear until after that trip. 
In that country, people are very superstitious. There's a lot of spells that are cast by witch doctors. And and if you're ever in Haiti and you see a hut or a house and there's a a flagpole with a red flag on the top of it, that means it doesn't mean that a blood lives there, but it means that a witch doctor lives there. And I, I don't know if I told you guys the story that my dad saw that and instead of going away, he said, does anybody have a snicker bar? And he went into the place and offered the witch doctor a snicker bar and shared the gospel. And the witch doctor's daughter had become a Christian and she was there and told my dad afterwards, I've been waiting and praying for God to send someone to come and share the gospel with my dad. So if you encounter any houses with a red flag this week, for the power of God, bring them a snicker bar and bring them Jesus. Amen. Alright, so, but in that culture, in that mindset, people were absolutely in total fear of demons, of Satan, of any type of spiritual entity. And then we, we, we kind of hear those things, or if you watch the, some of these shows, Ghost Hunters. Okay? If you, if you watch the thing, you know, and, and they're like, I don't know, is something here? And you can, we can begin to get freaked out. Or if you're a scary movie type of person. Now, I don't, I don't watch scary movies. I don't, I don't watch chick flicks. So, I, it's one of those things that, that, that if you watch those, you will, did y'all get that? Okay. Alright. Just gonna let that roll. But when you, when you expose yourself often to fear, and then when we were thinking these irrational phobias, and is somebody gonna come through my window at night, or if you're a little kid, does the monster really live in my closet? And then we come to the Bible and we say, who among you fears the Lord? And we're thinking about all these phobias, but in reality it's saying that it is a respect, it is a quaking fear of God's reverence and not wanting to do anything that would damage the relationship that through His grace He has begun with me. It is the knowledge, the fear of God in the Bible is the knowledge that God has created me. It just blows me away sometimes that I've looked back on my lifetimes of pride and arrogance or you know, when you encounter other people and it just seems like no one can tell them anything. It's almost like they decided to create themselves and create themselves so awesome that nobody could ever achieve what they achieved. You know what I'm talking about? And then uh, we, we begin to get prideful. What the Bible's saying is that the fear of God is to say, God, you are in charge. Like you are the total authority. You created me. You gave me everything I have in my life. And what I did for years, even if you got saved as a kid, I used my life to rebel against you. I used the air that you gave me to curse your name. The time that you gave me to live, I spent that wasting it on sinful pleasures. But yet, I heard the Gospel. And that even though I was, I'd wasted my life, you knew that that would happen. You sent Jesus to pay for my sin and to save my soul so that I could actually have a life. And then You've blessed me so much. You've given me peace and You've given me love and assurance of salvation. Lord Jesus, whatever life I have left, I owe it to You. Every day of my life, I want it to be like an offering, a gift, a thank you for saving me. And because I love Him, I fear and respect and honor Him. And some people say, no, hold on, Jeff. Dude, that sounds like a scare tactic. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, once again says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That means that if we're going to understand anything about life, anything about relationships, it begins with who is in charge. 
My parents, once I got to be about 13, allowed me to babysit my younger brothers. How many of you older siblings have ever had that great privilege to where you are literally king or queen of the universe, babysitting younger siblings? Can we see the hand today? Okay, so we have potential dictators here today. All right? Right, you remember how it was, like when mom and dad left and you were in charge? One thing that I did that it still comes up in family conversations is my brother Josh, who is 28 now, really got out of line. And you know when you're the oldest child, you can definitely tell when people need a whipping. And there was about three and a half years of difference. You know, that's enough for you to be in charge. So I tried to, as a teenage boy, put him over my lap because I had seen mom do it, or at least I had experienced that from the spank ease standpoint. And I tried to give him a whipping. UFC couldn't match that. I mean, we're talking, it was a scrap and mom came home and just everything was, I mean, he tried to spank, you deserve, and it was, but you know why he reacted? One thing he said, he says, you're not my mom. And you are not dad. And he fought it. I got a couple of licks in. (laughs) But he fought that. Please hear this. Because I didn't have the authority. And when we speak of the fear of God, it all is under the umbrella of authority. God is God. I am the creation. He is the creator. He is a creator that has a plan for me. And He is a creator who loves me. Therefore, I can't help but follow Him. It's not out of a slavish dread, but it is, as we read, out of filial or family-related reverence and honor. Let me give you a few texts from the Bible that deals with how if you develop and you begin to receive and act out the fear of God, how it will change your life. Number one, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, it will enable you to obey God despite your emotions. This is when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. Some parents who have rebellious kids say, I would have absolutely no problem with that. He did. He was there to the point where he was about to plunge the knife. He was going to obey God, not because he thought God was saying, practice human sacrifice, but because he believed that God was powerful enough to raise his own son from the dead. And also, because Noah feared the Lord, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, Noah was preserved instead of drowning like the rest of the world who was under judgment. It can also cause you to not take out revenge. Genesis chapter 42, verse 18. Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, had a chance to get his brothers back, had a chance to kill him. But he didn't because he feared the Lord. It will also keep you from doing things that will uh, wreak judgment upon yourself. In uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 17 and 21, the Hebrew midwives, remember when Pharaoh was trying to hold down the Jewish population, the Hebrews? And he told the midwives, when you... Give birth to a baby boy, do what with him? Somebody help me out. Throw him in the Nile, kill him. But the midwives, the Bible said, did not do it because they feared God. So make a remark. Abortion is the murder of the most innocent and helpless people group in America. I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you, do not support it. 
through the power of God, that we need some people in our country who don't just see this as a political issue, but see it as an issue of life and death. I mean, they're, they're, they said, well, you know, it's, it's a choice. Well, what, what about the child? It wasn't the child's fault. I mean, are we losing our, are we losing our stinking minds? Is that, is that too overboard for you guys? I mean, seriously, like you don't even hear about it anymore. I remember as a kid in the 80s watching the presidential debates and bro, it was all over the place. Now, it's hardly even a question. I think all of us need to repent before God, myself included, for just accepting the status quo. And even if we're not going to be able to change it in our lifetime, we can sure as God has saved us, reach out to unwed mothers and let them know, don't kill the child. We will help you find someone who can raise it if you can't do it yourself. Amen? We can do that much. And by the way, if it doesn't bother you, you've got a hard heart. I'm just going to say it. Alright? God can change your heart, but if that doesn't bother you at all, you need to do some serious business with God. Get in a phone booth, get in a broom closet and talk to him. Say, why doesn't the slaughter of little kids, little innocent, unborn children bother me? It should bother all of us. Job chapter 1 verse 1. Job was a man who feared God. It's also a key to being blessed by God. Psalm chapter 128 verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. Let me stop right here. I want to say something too, that through the power of God, that there can be forgiveness for those who have advocated or had abortions. Amen, church? I don't want to stop on the other note. My mom works in a crisis pregnancy center and there are lives that are being changed all the time. Women who have made mistakes in the past, but through the power of God, He has forgiven them and changed their life. And now they are advocates for the unborn. So if you have supported or if you've had an abortion here today, do not believe the lie of Satan that you have committed the unpardonable sin because Jesus is mighty. He is mighty and powerful to save. And He can save and He can change and He forgive. And the good thing about Jesus is He's not like some people we know. He doesn't hang it over your head. He's big enough to receive our sin and to absorb it and to cleanse it and to destroy it and to receive us as His child, not as the black sheep. And I'm glad that we have a Savior who can overcome our sin. Fear of God brings us under the protection of God. Psalm 115, verse 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Elijah on Mount Carmel, he was opposed by over 400 prophets of Baal. He was the only guy there who served the Lord. And he did it because he feared the Lord. He was reverent. Even Joseph, I want to say something to the students, like things like um, sex outside or before marriage. Joseph, we know this story. Potiphar's wife got the hots for Joseph. She said, come to bed with me. And he said, how can I do this wicked thing and sin against the Lord? He feared God. And I pray for all of us that we would have a healthy fear of God in our business. Probably all of you at one time or another have been tempted to do something that would be illegal or immoral in your job. We're not asking for a raise of hands, but it's those shady types of deals that like, well, nobody's ever really going to find out. Have a healthy fear of God, knowing especially for adultery and things like that. There's like in Proverbs chapter seven, it says that the dude who goes and finds the, 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 the seductress and goes into her, it says there's going to be like an arrow shot into the liver of a deer and he will be reduced to a loaf of bread. Let those thoughts 
be in our minds that would take us away from what's going to damage our relationship with Christ. So the first question is has to do with who among you fears the Lord? And then secondly there in verse 10, who among you obeys? In other words, who calls the shots in your life? Notice what it says, and obeys the voice of his servant. Who's the servant? If you want to make a mark in your Bibles, go over to Isaiah chapter 53, and you will find that the servant is Jesus. You know what the Bible's saying? It's saying that how do we know if we truly fear and love God? If we obey what Jesus said to do. Jesus said first off to repent, to be saved, to be born again, to give your life to Christ. Not just to join a church, but to give Him everything than to be scripturally baptized, which is to be put under the water, to be raised up, to show the picture of what the gospel is. And then to follow Him. That's what Jesus calls all of us to do. And there may be some of you here today, and this is such a great lesson we had in Sunday school, about only giving God certain parts and wanting to stay in the dark. God's plan is amazing. I think so often we limit God and we say, oh God, but I, you know, if I obey the voice of, of you and obey Jesus, and I don't... You may call me to do something I'm not comfortable with. Do you know that anybody who's ever done anything great has done something when it at first seemed uncomfortable to them? And we could tell cheesy stories about Colonel Sanders like creating a chicken empire. Getting out of the comfort zone. Now if God wants you to create Kentucky Fried Chicken Part 2 for the glory of God, man, knock yourself out. But I think so often we limit ourselves. And I just want, here's the thing. Some people say, well, man, Jeff, if I listen to God and I obey the voice of His servant, you know, I, He may, I mean, it may be an awkward life. It may be a tough life. He may require me to go to Sunday school and not just to church. Every church member, you need to be in Bible study. That's where community happens. It's good stuff. And God may cause me to go or call me to go on a mission trip. Every person who's ever been that I've talked to, they come back radically changed. God may cause me to, to go and try to, 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 to mend a relationship that has been broken. So often the things that we think are good in life are just shallow imitations of the best. And the scripture here is saying that when we fear God, we follow Him. So he's saying, that are you willing to trust God? Here's the question. With all of your life and not just part of it. Look at this final word picture there in verse 10 and 11. Look at halfway through verse 10 with me. Speaking of the person who doesn't walk in the fear of God, let him who walks in darkness and have no light do this. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Verse seven or verse 11 describes a person who has their own ideas about life. Look what it says. Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches or with sparks. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. What it's speaking of is a person who rejects the light of God. You've got to create your own ideas about God. Have you ever talked to someone? They say, you know, man, I just don't believe that, that my God, my God of love would create hell. You know what we say? Well, you're exactly right because that's a God that doesn't exist. It's a God that you created in your own mind. Well, Jeff, I, I don't believe that my God would really require me to do things that are hard. Well, the God of the Bible enables us to call, He calls us to do the most difficult things, but He says that you can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen, church? Like that's, that's, that's it. That's the gospel. And here's something that I think will help clear this issue is that when God calls us to do things, He calls us to do stuff that we cannot do. 
So in that sense, it almost sounds like God's a shady operator. But He calls us to do what we can't humanly do so that He can allow us to do it through His power. Like forgiveness. We've talked about this over and over. We can't forgive on our own. We can't manage just too hard. The, the, the desire of pride in our hearts, have you ever been in an argument and you always want to be right just to have the last word? To end up being like, that's right. Get some of that. Who's all, all of that has to do with something that's nothing compared to what God has for us. So when it says right here that you'll surround yourself with your own ideas. Maybe some of you here this morning used to give an idea about God and God is just so, He's just so easy and He has no call or no commitment. God calls us to commit to the death. Alright? So be real. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I don't know, Jeff. I'm, I'm new to church. What God calls you to do is to give Him your life, not just to give Him a Sunday morning. Alright? Like that's that, that's a high calling. But you know the point of a person who surrounds himself by their own fire? You've got to keep that fire going. And eventually, the fire will go out when you lose strength. And that's why the Scripture says, it ends in verse 11, This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You know what God is saying? So if you live your whole life based upon your own ideas and you reject me and you reject me and you reject me, then one day you're going to stand before me and I'm going to give you the fruits of your own labor. For example, there may be some of you, you are a lost church member. You've heard me preach for almost two years here. You've heard a lot of sermons before I got here. You know that you made a decision as a kid, but there's never any heart change. You know that you need to be born again for real, but every week when the invitation is given, you stay there and resist. Every time you do that, your heart gets harder. Some of you that God has called you, you say, you need to stand up, be a man, be a woman, and be baptized for the glory of God. Say, nope, I'm not going to do it because I feel awkward. Some of you, God has brought you to be uh, join here, to join and serve Jesus Christ at this church, and you resist, you resist, you resist. The heart becomes harder and harder and harder. And there may be some of you, you say, Jeff, I just want to serve Jesus. I want to follow Him. You know what? We could change this verse around. This you shall have from my hand. You will lie down and you will have rest. Amen. Book of Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says that the dead who die in the Lord shall have rest from their labors. So what so many of us try to get on our own, light, guidance, the right answers. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that part of the Bible. Let me just pull the page over and go to the next part. All of those things in the end will lie down in torment. But Jesus says through His sacrifice, I give you mercy. I can change your life. I will give you grace. And when He does that, we develop this healthy fear, this filial reverence of God to say, God, You have given me so much. I'm sorry for all the times that I have put You so low on the totem pole. I don't talk to You. I don't pray to You. I rarely attend church, but Lord, I want that to change. You've been so good to me. Would you please receive me, Jesus? And he will. And it's from that point that we say, Jesus, I don't want to do anything that's going to damage the relationship that we have. And that's what God is calling all of us to. A loving relationship to where we follow Christ no matter what. No matter what anyone else says. Because he loves us and because we love him. Let's bow our heads as we come to this time of invitation. As uh, got our musicians coming up. <clears throat> this is a time to where we have an invitation, a time for public committing to follow Christ. 
And I'm going to speak first off to the believer. You say, Jeff, I, I believe I've been saved, but I have, I have wandered so far. It seems like I've gone down and down and down, but I'm ready. I, I feel like I've been like the prodigal son. I've just, I just run away from God. And I experience what that says, that you shall lie down in torment. I say, Jeff, my life is a mess. I'm just so disgusted with myself. I'm so thoroughly unhappy. I, I want to make it right with, I, I'm, I'm broken, I'm ready to make it right with the Lord. Lord, I want to come back to you and, and, and have that, that closeness that I used to have. We're just going to open up the front. If you would like me to pray for you, just get out of your seat and come and I'll, I'll just pray for you. Feel free to come and pray, just kneel here down at the front. But don't put this off, do it now. God is calling you to come back. Do it now. And for those who you say, Jeff, I, I, I know that if I stood by, before God to give an account of my life, I would be guilty. I would be, I, there's no way that I would make it to heaven. There's just no way. No way. If I'm being really real, I know that I would be totally, totally, totally guilty. Just right now, the, the Bible says if you repent of your sin, believe in Jesus, you trust in Him, you turn away from yourself and trust in that you will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now, just say, God, would you save me? Lord Jesus, save my soul. Just, just from your heart, doesn't have to be a magic prayer, just say, Jesus, please save me. Save me, Jesus. Just from the depths of your soul, ask Him to save you. What we're going to do here in just a few moments is we're going to stand. We're going to sing a hymn. And then for the others, if, if some of you have been saved, but you've not followed Christ in baptism, but you know that today, say, Lord, I'm going to put feet to my prayers because I know that if I fear you, that I'm going to obey you. And you said to follow you in that. So I, I want to follow you in baptism. Not to be saved, but Lord, to show that you have saved me. We're going to ask you to come as well. If you are here and, and the Lord has, has changed your life and you want to come join, um, God's leading you from another area of service, we invite you to come. And some of you just need to come to the front and pray for people in your life that you know are on the path to destruction. They've broken your heart. You can't seem to get through. This needs to be a time where you say, God, I, you will have to break through. Please save my friend.